0: Well, welcome to redeemer opc i'm so glad that we can join together to offer praise to our god especially on a, a night like tonight with the snow falling and uh, with all the the decor i, I want to extend a, a special thank you to those of you who came uh, and use your gifts and talents uh, to uh, put all of these things together it definitely fits the season as you know, this is the perfect season for Calvinists, the frozen chosen, so we're so good to see all of you. Some of you took that personally, I know, I'm sorry. All right, just one, one announcement to get us started, uh, and that is uh, that there is an opportunity to participate in the choir uh, that will be following uh, the children's singing, uh, when that's going on, uh, December 3rd, 10th, and 17th. Uh, that's in preparation for the praise service and food and fellowship dinner on December 17th. So, the, the evening of the 17th is when we're having uh, our special music arrangement. So, uh, please be sure to note that if you would like to sing in that. Uh, please see Ginger if, if, if you'd like to participate. Uh, that's my only announcement. Let's take a moment now and prepare to worship our God. As we draw near to our God, we are reminded this evening that our del- our God delights in us. He delights to have a, a, us together as His people uh, to offer Him worship. But He delights to help us and strengthen us. And so, even as we come and offer our praise to Him, uh, He delights to to give us strength for the weak and and hope uh, for our lives. We're reminded of that from Psalm forty. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear it and put their trust in the Lord. Let's stand and sing to this God. Creation sings the Father's song. Let's go to our God now in prayer. Our great God and King, we thank you that you are the Lord of creation, that you are the source of all life and light and even as you reflect in the book of Job that you, that has the rain a father or is who has begotten the drops of dew, from whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven, Lord surely, you are creation's maker and sustainer. But truly as well, you have remade your people in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he willingly took on flesh to reconcile us with you, that we might have a hope that transcends this, this present order of creation and anticipates the, the new heavens and new, new earth that is to come. And Father, we uh, praise you for sending your spirit into our hearts to confirm that that day will come again. And so, Lord, as we wait in anticipation with all creation, we pray that you would set our minds and hearts more fully upon your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's continue to praise with teach me, O Lord, your way of truth.
1: You may be seated tonight. I have the opportunity to prayer uh, in our prayer for missions to pray for a ministry that is near and dear to this church's heart. Uh, not only do a lot of members of this congregation participate in the forgotten jail uh, ministries, reach the forgotten jail ministries, but uh, one of the chaplains, Richard Fuller, is also a member here. So, this is a, a ministry we support and one that we are uh, very familiar and fond with. They've given us a list of a uh, prayer requests and i'm just going to include those in the prayer tonight as we pray for this ministry the first uh... lord we come to you with uh... prayers for reach the forgotten jail ministry lord as time goes on uh... this ministry certainly becomes more and more dear to our hearts as we see the effects of all of the aspects of society that just caused so many people to end up in areas of life they would never have imagined probably and yet lord we know that you can reach out to these people in these areas as well some of the things that lord that they have asked us to bring to you on their behalf are a christmas drive that the inmates could celebrate christmas inside the prison and we pray for the success of this effort and we re- uh, request prayers that many would be reached and that who are apart during this holiday season, that the wonder of the Christ child will invade their hearts and their lives, especially as they many times are alone. We pray for Sarah Heaton and Richard Fuller, chaplains in the jail, for clarity in reflecting the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And we'd ask, Lord, that you would guide them in the continued leadership of volunteers and inmates. We pray for the volunteers here at Redeemer who are leading and serving in the jail for strength and peace as they meet the resistance of demonic forces while ministering in this dark place. Lord, we pray for the Kent County jail officers and the administrators. We pray for their salvation, and we'd ask, Lord, that they would have a love toward the inmates. We pray God's protection To his children many of whom are serving as officers of the law and Lord how they can impact people uh, in their service we pray for the Kent County sheriffs and the continued good relations with the reach the forgotten jail ministry we also Lord pray for the continued development of recovery and halfway houses to assist in the transition of released inmates as we know it is very hard to reenter life and find normal productive lives again and finally we pray for the continued development of mentors and church advocates to help inmates as they return to civilian life to be able to find a solid place in a church community where they can again hear your voice and respond In all of these things, Lord, we ask for blessings, and we know you alone are the giver of all good things. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing, My Heart is Filled.
2: Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, we gather here this evening with gratitude for all you have done for us. You provided your law to guide us, indeed placing morality inside our souls and our conscience, so that we would be without excuse for our sin. You provided your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, and willingly crushed him to atone for our sin. Your grace reached to our hearts while we were still your enemies and in the dark and you awakened us to faith. We are humbled by the many times we have fallen short of your holy calling on our lives, yet you love us still. You continue to provide for us daily, whether it be the blessings that seem more tangible and measurable to us, or the simple blessings that we take for granted, like every beat of our heart or breath that we inhale. You sustain us in every moment, and we do not have enough words to give thanks for the amazing gifts that you give each of us in this life. At the end of a week where we have been filled with food and fellowship, we realize that we may often gather here spiritually empty, yet you promise us that even in times of profound spiritual hunger and thirst, that if we will come to you, we will be satisfied. May our hearts indeed be filled with thankfulness as we just sang. Let this offering now be given out of that thankfulness knowing that what we give is only a small portion in light of all that you have given us. Praise be to you, our great God. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
3: Tonight we're turning in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, just the one verse that summarizes the ninth commandment for us. And then we're also looking at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, at the catechism's explanation of that verse and that commandment. So first I'm going to read Exodus 20 verse 16, and then we'll turn our attention to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Just to tell you, it's generally not approved to bring coffee or tea in the sanctuary. (laughs) That's not true. This is my tea because I do not want to repeat what happened this morning. So, hopefully it won't. Exodus 20, verse 16. There Moses writes, powered by the Holy Spirit, inspired by him, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the Ninth Commandment. And then from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, questions 76 through 79, we've already read question 76, what is the Ninth Commandment? So read 77. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? The answer is the Ninth Commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. Question 78, what is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment forbids whatever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. I'm guessing if you came to church tonight and you looked at the sermon title, you may wonder, if you're under the age of 40, what that title is about. And so I want to give you a short explanation. When I was a child, there was a saying that would go around on the playground, and it went something like this, Liar, liar, your pants on fire, your tongue is as long as a telephone wire. Now, usually it was shortened only to that first phrase, Liar, liar, your pants is on fire. But the second part of that phrase was intended to be an insult. It was meant to say, you're extending the truth so far that it no longer really is truth. And the saying captures what I have entitled tonight's sermon, liar, liar, your heart's on fire, because what comes from our mouths really starts in our hearts. And I think about a study that was conducted a couple of decades ago, and I'm sure it's still true, if not more so, And the study showed that 60% of Americans lie within a 10-minute conversation. The really striking part of that study is one of the researchers who said, we did not expect lying to be such a common part of everyday life. (laughs) What's funny about that is I'm sure the researcher knew from his own heart how often he would lie or deceive someone else. And I'm guessing that many of us wonder the same thing. It may be something that we struggle with in our own heart and life, and we might not assume it is such a common part of what we experience together as human beings. And so tonight, I want you to be convinced of two things by this sermon. First, I want you to understand why lying is so dangerous. It's not indifferent or a minor thing. It makes a big difference. And second, I want you to know why this commandment shows us why we need our Savior so very badly. those two things. And the first thing I want to explain, that is why this commandment is so serious, is really summarized for us as I, as I explain the first part of this commandment from Exodus chapter 20 verse 9, where Moses writes, "You shall not bear false." Witness. Now, again, the question is, why is that so serious? Why that expression? In order to understand that, you have to jump with me into the Old Testament in which this was written. Old Testament justice looked very different in some ways than what we experience. Maybe you like to watch old Sherlock Holmes movies. And there's inevitably some technology that comes to play as Holmes figures out What really happened? Or if you jump forward in time, there was no CSI, there was no DNA in the time in which this commandment was written. And so the idea of witnesses was even more important than it would be today. In most cases in the Old Testament, you could be condemned just on the basis of what witnesses said that they observed. We have an example of that in 1 Kings chapter 21 where we read about a man by the name of Naboth. Remember that he had a vineyard, and the king Ahab wanted that vineyard very, very badly. In fact, his wife said, if you want that vineyard so badly, why don't you go ahead and take it for yourself? And together they schemed and hired two professional witnesses. Can I use air quotes when I say that? Witnesses who were liars who came to testify that they had heard Naboth curse God and the king. And so according to the Old Testament law, Naboth was taken out and stoned to death. And then, of course, the vineyard was available for Ahab's use. You can see in this case that telling the truth as a witness was so important because otherwise the people who were called to judge would not know what the truth was. And if you lied when you were bearing witness, it was not only wrong, it was damaging and perhaps fatal to the one who was being accused. And because being a witness to the truth then was so important, the Old Testament required at least two witnesses who had to agree before someone was sentenced to death. You can find that in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. And the witnesses who testified had to be the first ones to execute the sentence. You could not say, I heard Naboth curse God, and then fade into the background as though what you said did not matter. If this was a capital offense, you had to be the one to cast the first stone. The witnesses who testified actually put someone to death. Further, the Old Testament said that if a witness was lying, the punishment that would have fallen to the accused was then given to the false witness instead. That's the truth according to Deuteronomy chapter 19, just a few chapters after chapter 17, about two witnesses. So that if you were a witness, again, in Nabah's case, and it was found that you lied, you would actually be the one who was stoned to death. Which meant in this context, when Moses writes, you shall not bear false witness, It was exalting the nature of truth. It was using an extreme example, an example that would be very clear about the need to tell the truth always. Because if you did not tell the truth, it could be fatal, either for the one that you were accusing or for the one who was making the false witness statement. Further in the Old Testament, giving justice did not belong to an impartial, detached court. It was impartial in the sense that it was to consider the truth as it was, but it was not detached from the community. To use another example, in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Boaz seeks resolution of what we might call a property dispute. But he does not go to Jerusalem in order to resolve that property dispute, to some circuit court, to some place, Far removed from his location, he goes to the gate of the city. And there he calls for ten well-respected men. And these men are asked to decide the case that is laid before them. Whose property is this really? Likewise, you can imagine Naboth in the story that I mentioned earlier being tried before a group of people from his own town. God wanted it to be clear That the community was not only involved in a general level about what happened there, but the community was involved in the exercise of justice. Giving justice and living justly according to truth is never intended to be distant from us. No, it's meant to be part of what we do individually and corporately. Which means when you take the Old Testament teaching as a whole, there are three things that might surprise you about what the Old Testament says about bearing the truth, about speaking the truth, what falls under what we're calling here bearing false witness and the condemnation of doing so. First, telling the truth, hear this, is always theological first. The reason that truth matters is because God is true and he loves the truth and he sees the truth. The reason that truth often matters far less for us than it should and it does not affect the way that we act and it has seemed to be lost in many places in our culture is not primarily a political problem or even a moral problem. It is a theological problem. Divorce the truth from the divine and truth becomes malleable or pliable. We think we can turn it into whatever we want it to be. Interestingly, on Friday, as I was watching my Iowa Hawkeyes jump to 10 wins, there was a commercial that came across the stream that we were watching. And it was an app on an iPhone. And the app now will automatically correct... If someone's head in the picture is turned the wrong way and if there are three people whose heads are turned the wrong way, it'll automatically correct each one. And after it does, you look at it and you can't see the difference. What was originally true and what was manipulated. And I remember one young lady who was watching this with me, she said, I don't know if I like that. It's just a small indication of how easy it is in our culture to manipulate truth. In the small ways, what actually happened, and even in grand ways. So much of what we're suffering with, the instability in our culture goes to the question of, who you believe? I remember my father counting out Walter Cronkite to give him the news. Some of you kids won't even know who he is. Your parents and grandparents will explain. There is no cultural mediator of truth today. You can find a perspective on the news simply by googling one idea or another. The truth is almost twisted to meet what end you desire it to have. Or the end that someone else desires. And if we think, wow, that's a big cultural problem. I can't believe that that exists in our culture. I'm going to smile with you a little bit and be honest and say, but don't we all do that? Is that not what we often do? I will confess that I have. I've tried it. I can remember as a very young boy, I've told you this. When my parents came home from parent teachers' conferences when I was in the first grade, they discovered that when I had told them every Monday that I had practiced my spelling words at school and had gotten them all right, I was not telling them the truth. I had hidden those spelling words on the way home for nearly a semester. Because in my world, it was better to manipulate the truth than having having to study those spelling words. I wouldn't commend it if you're a child learning how to spell. But haven't we all done something like that? Telling a story a little bit to accentuate how clever you are. Talking about circumstances in a way for your opinion and your perspective to be the obvious truth choice choice the second thing that the old testament shows us is not only the importance of the truth it also shows us the deadly sometimes fatal nature of lying we can sometimes justify our sins especially lying by saying well who really is hurt after all that is most certainly not true When the truth is not spoken, when the truth is not believed, people are hurt, sometimes fatally so. And finally, third, the Old Testament points out that lying is never detached from those around us. If lying is, first of all, a theological problem, the way that lying works is that it begins to affect those who are around us. What we say, true or false, will have a profound effect on them. And what does it reveal? The seriousness of our speaking the truth or lying. Where does that problem arise? When I entitled my sermon, liar, liar, your heart's on fire. (laughs) I changed that little thing we used to say to each other at the playground. Because in the Bible's view, lying is not first of all a problem with your mouth. It's a problem with your heart. I'm going to test that with you. Think this evening about the last time that you lied, that you didn't tell the truth. Maybe it's something you failed to mention because you knew if you did, it wouldn't look good for you. Maybe it's something that you said because you just wanted to spin it a little bit. What was going on in your heart When you didn't say what you should have said, or when you spun that truth a little bit, the story you exaggerated, fudged a little bit, spun some, I think if you look carefully at your heart, what you'll find is the core conviction in that moment that you really believed that you needed to provide for yourself something that if you didn't spin the truth, you wouldn't get what you deserved. You wanted to be sure your interests were well provided for, and you figured if you didn't do it for yourself, it just wasn't going to happen, so you might as well color the truth a bit. To say it again, every one of the commandments reveals our hearts, friends. There's none of them that do not reveal our hearts, but this commandment reveals a particular part of our hearts. He reveals that part, our belief, that says, if I don't do my best to change the story, to manipulate the truth, I will not be taken care of because no one will take care of me the way that I deserve it. And it is for that reason that I say, be careful when you open your mouth, lest your heart come out. What you might discover is that you have a strong desire for taking care of yourself, even sometimes if it means bearing false witness against your neighbor. That's a long explanation, and Lord willing, a faithful explanation of the first part of this ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness. But the second part of this commandment, again, that I want to explain to you tonight, is why does it say against your neighbor? You might say, Pastor, that's already been obvious. You the story of Naboth. Obviously, truth and community harms those around us. Not speaking the truth, I should say, harms those around us, and that's true. But in this part of this commandment, it's not just simply pointing out the obvious. Rather, the rest of the scriptures, including the New Testament, pose this question. And it really is all about this one word, this one preposition, against your neighbor. If bearing false witness naturally puts us in opposition to our neighbor, it harms our neighbor, how can the way that we speak and the truth that we tell be turned from against into for? Because you'll notice in the catechism, when it explains this question and answer, it not only says what is prohibited, it also tells us what is commanded. Or maybe the way that I can explain this question is, is this way. You might wonder how your struggle to tell the truth and my struggle to tell the truth could ever change. If it is really true that most Americans lie within a 10 minute conversation, We might just throw up our hands in despair. We look at our culture as a whole and we might say, how would that ever change? And the Bible is not indifferent to that question at all. In fact, it offers you the possibility that you could walk out of this building tonight with something beside the desire to deceive. In order for that to be true, I want to show you two things. And there are two things Not simply about this commandment, but about Jesus himself. The first thing I want to tell you about this change, that you would go from against to for, bearing false witness against to telling the truth in support and in love for your neighbor, I would tell you it is possible for that to change, because hear this, Jesus takes away the need for deception. He takes away the need for lying. As I said a moment ago, the lie of the evil one is that no one loves you as much as yourself and no one will care for you the way that you will, so you better look out for yourself. Is that not exactly what the evil one told Adam and Eve at the beginning of time before they fell, that God was keeping something from them? He wasn't letting them in to the whole truth. And because God wouldn't give them what they wanted and deserved, they might as well take it for themselves. Who's going to look out for you like you, he argues. But here is the truth. Hear this, my friend. The infinite holy God of heaven and earth has a love for you in his son that is fuller and richer and greater than anyone else could possibly possess. It is an undivided love. It is a pure love. It is a careful love. It is a true-to-the-core love. No one loves like he can. The Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 9, In this the love of God was made clear among us that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. What I want you to hear this evening is that God not only loves you, but that love takes away the need for lying. God is not promising that everything that you will necessarily want, you will have. His love is not a card that says, play this and you get what you believe you deserve. But what it does mean is that God provides for us exactly what we need and what is good for us. We introduce the need to lie when we think That God could not possibly care for us the way we could care for ourselves. And then Jesus enters the equation and he says, I've given myself like no one else can so that you can know I love you like no one else is able. Not even you. The love of Jesus means that he will provide for us even better than we would love ourselves. We do not need to preserve ourselves. We do not have to manipulate the truth to get what we want. Instead, we can rest fully and truly in God's perfect and providential care for us, which is a precise implication of his love. Let me give you an example. Would you like an example? Let me give you an example of this. There have been times in my life where I've wanted things, and I've wanted them badly. I want to take you back in my life to the time where I was studying in law school. I'd been a pastor for a while, decided to go to law school. That's a whole story in itself. But one of the things that happened when I went to law school is we went in a city where parking was somewhat difficult. At least I had to buy a pass if I was going to park on campus. But I noticed something interesting sort of a light came on. It almost seemed like it came from the heavens above when I saw this sign that was above a pretty sizable area in a parking lot. It said, and I can still see it, it was blue and white. It said, free motorcycle parking. In my mind, I thought, oh, this is a golden moment. I went home and explained to my wife how critical it was for me to have a motorcycle. Can I be honest with you and tell you it really wasn't because of free parking? If you haven't figured that out already, it wasn't. I wanted a motorcycle and it didn't take long for me to need a motorcycle and for me to explain in whatever way it seemed to be compelling to my wife and clearly it was not compelling to her. But eventually she gave sort of, well, it's fine then, dear. And in the moment, if you would have asked me, and I would have come clean, if you could have borne down deep into my heart, what I really told my wife about the free parking and my need for motorcycles had nothing to do with the free parking. It it was really about manipulating the truth in order to sell what I hoped that she would buy. I lied because otherwise I thought I would not get what I wanted and what I thought I needed and what I thought I deserved. Let me tell you tonight, my friend, if that's how you live, if that's the way you think you need to operate, I want you to do three things. Maybe it's only one of these three, but at least consider these three. First, I want you to repent. Because the lie that you're telling yourself is a lie that comes straight from the Garden of Eden and the father of lies who tells you that God does not have your best interest in mind, that God is something he's withholding from you, and it is up to you to get what you really want and deserve. It's not true. It's a lie. Repent of that. The second thing is going to sound like an extreme opposite. The second thing you might do is you might jump up and down for joy. Maybe when you hear that God loves you more than you could ever love yourself, he loves you perfectly, you think to yourself, I've never considered that to be true. Your heart's deceptive. God's is not. God knows all things perfectly. You don't. God can bring into your life exactly what you need in order to conform you to Jesus Christ. You can't. And if you're glad to hear tonight that God loves you in a way that is far better than any love we would have for ourselves, maybe you want to jump up and down for joy. Do it when you leave. It's an incredible blessing. The third thing I want you to hear in response to this is that you might be experiencing all kinds of trouble, and yet I want you to leave here being confident in the care of your God. He really does care for you. He will love you. He will provide for you in a way your manipulation of the truth will never do. There's one more thing I want to add, perhaps the most important thing that I said to you tonight, of all the things I've said. Remember, there are two big ideas here. The first is not to bear false witness. I explained what that meant in the Old Testament and how that works in our hearts. Against our neighbor, and I said, how can we turn from being against our neighbor to four? One of the key ways that I've said is by understanding the love of God in Christ Jesus. Here's a second thing. It really emphasizes that love, the love that our God has for us in Jesus Christ. Here's a great promise, that Jesus promises to overcome the father of lies. He is able to do that. Perhaps this all seems too easy to you. You struggle with lying very deeply. When I say repent, you say to yourself, okay, whatever, I've tried that. Your life is dominated by a manipulation of the truth. You mouth repentance. And because you know you're going to struggle with not telling the truth, you don't have much joy and your confidence in God wavers. Then I want you to hear 1 John 3, verses 8 and 9, very close to that verse I read just a moment ago. There John says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, hear this, destroy the work of the devil. He will destroy the work of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. What is the key ingredient in breaking the pattern of sin, the practice of sin? John says it is the power of the Son of God who has come to destroy that work of the evil one. That is pretty stark, and it means a couple of things. First, if you make a practice of sinning, if that's your pattern, if you do so with no regret and no repentance, no seeking for change, then John says you are In a very dangerous place. But if you struggle against your sin. If you struggle against your lying ways. If you repent. If it grieves you and you long for the day. When you struggle with this sin. And all sin will be over. Then listen to what Jesus says. Jesus came to destroy the work of the evil one. Including our temptation to manipulate The truth. Or let me say it more powerfully and pointedly to you tonight. You do not have a Savior who's passively watching on the sidelines as you struggle with the truth. You have a God who is mighty to save. He will save you in the moment in which you struggle to tell the truth. It is the purpose of your Savior Jesus Christ to overcome the work of lies. He came to set you free and to give you freedom indeed. And through the power of Jesus Christ, the one who overcomes the father of lies, you may come to the point of loving the truth. Even if it means sometimes exposing your own sin, your own weakness, your own need to change, you may even come to the point, let me encourage you with this, that you would rather affirm the truth, even if it does not look as good for you. Your desire to follow after God is to speak the truth, even if you need to repent rather than glossing over what happened in order to make yourself look good to put it this way you can comfortably place yourselves yourself in the hands of god even when it comes to difficult things so what can i tell you this evening about the ninth commandment it's this you need our savior jesus we all do But we need him specifically because of the ninth commandment. That he can replace our desire for self-preservation with a love for the truth. Jesus is able to do exactly that. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful that we desire to hear this truth tonight about the ninth commandment. Father, I am grieved by the fact that truth-telling is such a difficult uh, thing in our times. Some of it is a technological challenge in that the truth can be manipulated. Videos and, and photographs that used to give clear evidence of something that occurred now can be manipulated in such a way it's almost impossible to tell what occurred. Even our students are struggling with writing papers and presenting them to their teachers that they did not create. In our own lives, we find ways to cover up our tracks, to try to present to others a perspective on who we are that we know is not accurate and true. And into the confusion of life, your spirit brings this commandment and points us to the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray together as a covenant community tonight That the evil one and his work would be destroyed. That the father of lies would be turned back by the power of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his great name. Amen. Let's stand to sing. see this blessing from god now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty and dominion the authority before all time now and forevermore go in his peace amen